This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Adam Knight of Pacific Biosciences stops by to talk flex groups, genomics, and unstructured NAS from a customer's perspective. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio. With me today, we have a special guest, customer actually. We have we have a customer on the podcast today. So Adam Knight is here. Hi, Adam. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Doing well. So Adam Knight actually joined me at NetApp Insight this past year to talk about how his company is using specifically FlexRoot volumes, but unstructured NAS in general on ONTAP. And that's what the, the topic of conversation is going to be today. So Adam, if you could tell everybody uh, what you do uh, and where you work and how to reach you. Sure thing. Um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll talk about what else happened in Vegas too, right? Yeah, we, no, we, no, we don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I'm Adam Knight. I'm the senior manager of IT at Pacific Biosciences. We're known as PacBio. Uh, I manage our infrastructure data center groups and our client services help desk groups. Excellent. So um, how do we reach you on social media if we wanted to do that? Uh, you can uh, you can get me on Twitter. It's at D-A-M-K-N-I-G-H-T. So that's at Dumbnight. And um, yeah, I can share my email too in a link um, on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, Adam is also a illustrious member of the A-team. Uh, NetApp A team that is, uh, so he is he can be found with NetApp A team events as well. Um, so Adam, um, could you tell us a little bit more about PacBio, what they do, and you know a little bit of their history if, for people who aren't aware? Yeah, sure thing. So we're based in Menlo Park, California. We've got a handful of offices around the globe, um, but our main headquarters is is here in sunny California, not far from NetApp. And um, PacBio is known as the leader in long read genomic sequencing. So that's a that's a portion of the genetic genomic market um, that we rule in, and uh, we are basically a company that manufactures genomic sequencers. So we've been around for about fifteen years. Um, we've put out five different instruments in that time officially, and um, our more recent systems are known as the SQL and the SQL two, um, and these are these are large-scale, robotic, laser-operated genomic sequencers. So as far as genomics goes, I mean, that's kind of data lake, data analytics, uh, figuring out uh, genomic sequences so that we can identify diseases or identify specific crops that work the best in, in, in farms and that sort of thing, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's plant, animal, human. Um, and then the, the, the general... Uh, direction of the genomics market, especially sequencing, is to drive down cost over time, to drive the size of these instruments down, drive the cost down so that scientists, oh, and also to increase the the speed of sequencing so that scientists can get their data faster and cheaper and get more genomic data from the different samples they want to. So as a storage administrator in genomics, I mean, what are some of the challenges you run into? What, what are the hardest things, to you know, the hardest problems to solve? Um, It's typically dealing with keeping an incredibly large amount of data online at any given time, um, having that available to people and then 
uh, keeping that around for long amounts of time in case it's cited for publications later on or for backward-looking experiments where they needed to see what was done on a previous run. So it just means keeping a lot of data warm at any given time or near warm um, and then trying to do that on petabytes of data with a small team in an automated fashion. So when um, when you get requests for storage, I mean, is it generally for you know giant buckets or is it you know do you get a lot of information about the workload? I mean, how much information are they giving you when they're asking for storage? It definitely depends on the the group within the company. It's uh, it's a bit nebulous most times. Um, some some users actually work out like how long these these sequencing runs are and how many they're going to be doing, and the accuracy they need, and and actually give me pretty well thought out numbers. Um, for for throughput and for ultimate amount of storage, other users just ask for a new a new path, and you don't know if they'll be putting a terabyte in there or petabytes in there. So, when you provision storage, is it always a flex vault, or is it always a flex group, or is there a mixture? And if there's a mixture, how do you decide? That's a good question. Um, historically, it was always flex balls, obviously until flex groups came around, um, and we found ourselves outgrowing flex balls on a regular basis and uh, nesting flex balls within flex balls, even though hierarchically it didn't really make, make sense to break it up into separate volumes. That was just because of the uh, 100 terabyte limit on flex balls that we were, we were always knocking on the door of. Um, so these days, we know, we know our data well enough to know generally what is likely to grow. And we traditionally err on the side of doing flex groups for just about everything at this point. With flex groups rapidly gaining parity with flex balls over the last couple of years, uh, it becomes much easier to work with flex groups and to provision those without concerns of, of like more, more management headaches down the, down the road. What ONTAP version are you guys running today? Uh, we're on 9.6 P2 on one cluster and 9.7 on another. Oh, you're on 9.7 already. Excellent. Yeah, we've got, we've got 9.7 on our... Uh, or the cluster at our co-location. I wanted to be able to test out some of the um, NFS clients. Um, you know, see, <laughs> that's probably my most my most exciting feature on nine seven is uh, being able to see more stateful information about. NFS. Oh, the connected I, clients feature where you yeah, can see, clients, yeah, you. the the clients that you can you basically so now in nine seven you can see which clients are attached to volumes based on IP addresses and that sort of thing. Something we didn't have before, but now we have available in nine seven. Yeah, and so we, we run, uh, right now it's 9.6 P2 uh, that's on our production 8-node cluster. Are you testing out anything like NDMP and 9.7 for flex groups or NFS v4? Um, not, not so much, not right now. I mean, we've, we've looked at NFS v4.1 a couple times in the past, and it's, uh, it's found its way into some small applications, but it's generally not, it doesn't buy us a whole lot, so... Have you tested uh, any of the uh, new flex group to, or sorry, flex ball to flex group conversion? So in place conversion, we haven't tested that yet on nine seven. Okay, so so yeah. will you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are, these are these are definitely a number of things I'm going to be checking, and and that's why we put it on our smaller two node cluster before we uh, before we ultimately. We usually wait a couple patch releases for our production cluster. So I would guess in you know three four months we'll be eyeing you know nine seven p two or something for for our production cluster. Yeah, and and essentially you know if you wanted to test it out without affecting production data, I mean we've made the suggestion to other people in other formats like blogs and TRs, but basically you can flex clone a volume, split it, and now you have an exact 
copy of that volume and you can now convert that copy of the volume to a flex group and see how it's going to operate for you. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about the infrastructure that you've got set up. So, you know, you mentioned ONTAP 9.6 and, and 9.7, but what about the actual, um, the file structure? Like how are you using flex groups? How are you structuring everything and how do you deploy? Sure. So since, um, since basically the installation of, of cluster data on tap, we've been heavily leveraging the notion of junction paths um, and using NetApp's single namespace, global namespace um, across our org. So that was, that was probably one of the better organizational things that NetApp's data fabric and FAS bought us in general was the ability to quickly move around mount points, move volumes to different places within our namespace with a minor interruption. And, um, so these flex falls and flex groups, a, a lot of the, the higher levels of, of our junction paths are flex falls, uh, and those aren't meant to take much data. They're meant more um, as an organizational hierarchy thing where uh, these flex falls will define the structure down to a certain level, and then the flex groups will be the directories below that that take up a, a lot of data. So to answer your question, we've got a handful of different top-level directories that quickly fan out into things like instrument data, into departmental data. Uh, we've got backups and archives. We've got uh, customer data from offsite, things like that. So um, as far as the, the size of these flex group goes, I mean, how, how large are they getting versus how small do you generally deploy them? Um, depends definitely on the kind of data going into them. We'll usually now, we still, you know, against your, your your better suggestions, Justin, we still often deploy these from the command line um, and we fan them out into a lot of constituents typically, especially when we expect them to grow. Uh, just because we don't like adding constituents on the fly, that gives us hot hot data um, basically on certain aggregates when a, flex, when, when a certain constituent of a flex group is trying to catch up by writing more data to that, to that member volume, um, it saturates that file or, or that aggregate a lot more. Uh, so deploying, if we expect it to be large, we'll often do something with you know 16 constituents or more. Um, we always do space guarantee none, so that's like the equivalent of thin provisioning. And uh, so then we can give users more space and just monitor things as they grow into that space. Um, and we try to distribute those member volumes, those constituents, across as many nodes and aggregates as possible to really get the best parallelization of, uh, of bandwidth and storage as, as possible. So on a typical workload, I mean, what sort of performance are you seeing? Like what's your max throughput that you get and, and max IOPS and, and how does that latency look for those flex group volumes? Um, the, it's, it's generally been, been really good. It's, uh, I mean, the, th the throughput numbers we see, we're often, we're, we're rarely driving our, our FAS storage from, a lot of hosts at once. On occasion, when we launch a large job, we'll see IOPS across a number of member volumes. You know, for for a given flex group that add up to three hundred thousand IOPS or something. Take into account that we are SATA backed, so that's a lot of spindles. Um, and we'll see we'll see throughput often in the couple gigabytes per second type numbers. That's pretty good for spinning drives. I mean, and on top of that, I mean, you're also doing some. I guess storage virtualization on top of it, where you're basically taking an ONTAP system and, and presenting it 
to back end of E series discs, right? So you've got an E series in the back end and you're using Flex Array technology. Yeah, exactly. For anyone looking into that, it's Google Flex Array um, or look on kb.nnap.com for Flex Array and you'll, you'll learn a lot about them being able to virtualize uh, their. The ONTAP software on top of other storage vendors, which in this case is a NetApp E-Series. So it's the same storage vendor, just a different tier of storage or a different level of storage from them. Yeah, so, it, yeah that, that's good. Um, that's mostly our, our archival tiers. We're usually not pushing large, uh, large IOPS to those. Uh, that's more just like streaming kind of uh, scheduled archival jobs that push to, uh, that push to our FlexArray storage. Yeah, and it just goes to show. I mean, you can repurpose old disk using ONTAP if you if you want to use it for things like archival with without any trouble. Yep, check the uh, check the hardware universe. Uh, so as far as um, other workloads, I mean, are you doing any sort of uh, like you, I, I think I remember you were doing Veeam backup repositories to Flex Groups. Uh, yeah, we do have some some Veeam targets on Flex Group. So how is that working out for you? Like, what's the utilization like? Is it performing well? Do you have issues with space allocation? You know, what sort of challenges and benefits are have you seen with with VM on Flex Groups? I think there are some some uh, positive changes coming with uh, version ten of Veeam. Um, in the past, Veeam has worked. Uh, it has played really well with Flex Groups. We haven't had problems with that necessarily. We we did for a while have single files that would grow to very large sizes. So um, you may have uh, files on, on your backups that are multi, multiple terabytes a piece. And so we were having constituents outgrow their bounds. So Veeam would create a number of backup files and then over time continue adding to those files. And so the flex groups did not necessarily perform well with gigantic files like that, multi-terabyte files that grow over their life. Um, that doesn't really allow the flex group to balance itself. Um, other than that, like as long as we kept track of that and were able to um, to rewrite those files at some point and or to grow uh, constituents <laughs> to very large sizes, then it worked out well. Yeah, and in, in later versions of ONTAP, like the 9.6 release and later, I mean, that's going to happen automatically for you behind the scenes with elastic sizing where the volumes will grow as needed based yes. on file allocation. That's great. That's as long as they can grow. <laughs> well, yeah, I and mean, then they grow. They grow by borrowing space from other volumes. But in that case, I mean, if you if you think this is contention with the the volume space itself, you can turn on volume auto grow, and it'll grow them automatically for you that way. Yes. So as far as um, when you are migrating from flex balls to flex groups, and this is prior to us having the ability to convert in place, what were some of the pain points you had? going from a flex ball to a flex group and how did you get around some of that yeah so the process was fairly straightforward it would basically it it would typically look like we'd have a flex crawl flex ball that was growing at a certain rate um was either outgrowing its bounds or was going to be at some point soon and so we would create a new flex group uh with ample data to to account for and to sync over this flex fall to um and we would generally start a sync uh, using XCP, which is a tool from NetApp. Uh, it's like a highly parallelized, think of it like a, a very parallel R sync that basically does a uh, synchronization of one file system to another and can continue to, to do the deltas, the changes over time. Um, and then we would work with the customers or, uh, or the systems that read or write data from that original volume. We would take a small downtime 
we would take the flex volume offline, do a final sync, and then bring the flex group online in the original path. So it did mean a, a small downtime for uh, for that data, but it was generally pretty small. As long as there weren't a lot of deltas happening on that volume, it would, you know, a lot of this is doable within 15 minutes to 30 minutes. Uh, for some some larger ones where there were more deltas, you know, we might need a couple hours of downtime. We may have to stop databases, things like that, that reside on the uh, storage. But um, I would say it wasn't a crippling problem, um, but it is very nice to have a flex vault, a flex group, uh, no downtime option. With XCP, I mean, are you using the latest version of XCP? I mean, what's been your experience with that? Uh, XCP is, yeah, we, we are uh, using the latest and it, the experience has been good. It's generally been, uh, it's been, it's an incredibly fast tool. Um, it does a really, really fast scans through file systems um, and it does really fast transfers. So sometimes we did have to use, uh, or we chose to use rsync to do a final delta uh, just because the, um, what do they call it? The catalog for a given transfer on XCP may get a little bit out of whack. They they keep updating things. It would basically be, we would trust the initial data copy that XCP had done, but we wouldn't necessarily trust that it was getting all the files in a sync because new files may have been created, certain files may have disappeared, and the catalog would, would complain about that, whereas rsync just does a brute force you know, single-threaded approach and goes through everything. So you're using 1.5 now? Uh, I'd have to check. I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's the latest one. So in, and with that release, I mean, it fixed some of the problems with sync, but it also allows us to do uh, official support now with, with XCP. So if you wanted to use XCP, but you're worried about getting support for it, you can now call into the NetApp Support Center and, and leverage our support center for XCP support as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we are using 1.5. Excellent. Yeah. Are you using it just for the NFS side or are you using it for the SMB side as well? Um, we're pretty much just using it for NFS. I've, I've used it for SMB in the past, but uh, we, we don't do a whole lot of that, uh, that type of transfers, and we would often use RoboCopy for that. So not, not getting the same kind of parallel glamour that we get from XCP, but yeah, maybe it's time to revisit that too. Are you using it all for scans, like doing uh, scanning of the file system to find out average sizes or to replace the find functionality so if you, you don't have to run a single thread to find? Yeah, yeah, we've definitely used it in that capacity a good bit. Okay, excellent. Any uh, like specific workflows that you do that are kind of like things you've dreamt up out of XCP, I mean, that you're using it for? Um, nothing, nothing too wild, to be honest. No, you're not. You're not copying massive amounts of MP3s to your home <laughs> NAS. <laughs> no, um, I, I I don't know how well it would do over the WAN. To be honest, <laughs> that'd be pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, as far as the the flex groups go, I mean, with support, how have you found the support to be from you know going from flex balls to flex groups? What are some of your initial early challenges, and how do you find the support of those to be now? I. Uh, those are great questions. I've I've been really impressed to continue to see NetApp putting energy into developing and growing flex groups. Um, obviously, I'm sure you have too, Justin. It's a big, <laughs> been a large part of your job, driving that that roadmap. Um, but it's always good to see when a new technology comes into play, and it's not maybe not immediately picked up by everyone, but continues to get fast paced development 
um, that would at a certain point make users foolish for not using it for larger or, or more um, parallelized data sets. Uh, as far as support on it, I haven't, in the early days, it was the kind of thing when I would talk to someone at NetApp support, they may not know what the word flex group meant. Um, they may not really understand what that was. And, and even in recent support cases, you find certain people who, who know flex groups uh, through and through better than others. Um, but the support has definitely gotten more, um, more versed with, with how they work and knows more about how uh, performance bottlenecks on a, on a given constituent might affect the overall flex group. So it's been a positive change in NetApp support to see that being adopted. Uh, being adopted. So with, with your environment, I mean, what specific issues have you run into and, and how have you addressed those? Uh, so some, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, some of the issues we've run into are with uh, fast growing flex groups where we may not have given a flex group enough constituents, enough member volumes early on when we created it. And what that would mean is down the road, our constituents are growing to very large sizes and um, occupying so much space on given aggregates that we don't we don't really have many places to move to. So at a point like that, you can add more, you can do a vol expand and add more members to a flex group. Um, but then what that translates to is those those empty constituents that you've just added are going to take the bulk of the rights. And so you'll quickly, if you don't add enough and you don't distribute them well enough, you'll quickly have hotspots on given aggregates or given filers to where maybe you have a 500 terabyte flex group and the, the 50 terabytes of constituents you just added are all on one filer or are on two aggregates or something. And so what would be a very large storage space taking a lot of writes is being funneled through a single filer. So you may, you may quickly go from a, a great parallel situation to a, a very serial situation on a given filer if you don't create those in a distributed way. So like, let's play back to the future here where, you know, Adam Knight is Marty McFly. Um, what, would, what would future Adam Knight tell past Adam Knight where he started originally deploying flex free volumes? What would you say, hey, don't do that? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think I did it the best way I possibly could have the entire time, Justin, I didn't make any mistakes. No, no, you don't think you're making mistakes <laughs> at the time, but you know, you've got the sports no, I'm, almanac. I'm joking, I'm joking, you've got I'm the joking. sports almanac. You can, you can win lots of money betting on sports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until Biff Tannen steals it, but continue. Um, so I would, I would say that, um, knowing that flex groups have kept development, kept the wind in their sails for development over the last couple of years, I probably would have, added even more work sets to flex groups. And for the most part, I would have, um, I would have added more constituents to each flex group. That, that just gives you, even if you have a lot of very small constituents, while it, while it may look like a lot more on your dashboard, it's, um, it's quickly going the direction of, of where you're not caring as much about constituents when you're managing flex groups. And that gives you the flexibility to move volumes around under the covers more easily when you do start to get hotspots. So anytime you don't over-provision enough, you're going to end up with volumes that are so large that vol moves take a long time. Um, and so you really can't free up that, that hot data, that uh, single bottleneck and in as quick of a fashion when you have to move a 30 terabyte volume between two filers kind of thing. It takes a long time. 
Yes, I mean, what I'm hearing is, is you know, you, you're basically using it for a bunch of smaller workloads. Some people use it for the massive capacity, right? Like the very large capacity, but, you know, and you do that in some regards. But you we also, you, you're kind of mixing up how you're doing it. So what I heard was future Adam would have gone back in time and told past Adam, use more of them. Yeah. <laughs> don't, be, don't be a fool. This is the way to go. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like I said, the development was like there was not any real parity between flex groups and flex falls in 9.1. No. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't rename things. There were weird display issues when you would try to do vol shows with constituents. Yep. Just little things here and there that were a bit disconcerting at the beginning, but it, they were pretty quickly worked out. Yeah, so, the rename maybe, stuff. I mean, it was pretty benign, but yeah, you know, it was annoying. I, 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 yeah, I just, just I mean, just little things like that where you, you didn't really want to set yourself up. You know, if these if you ended up squirreling away petabytes of data on these flex groups and then they were a bit orphaned by NetApp, you would be in a bad position. So, yeah, which we would not do that. That would be ridiculous. That's great. It'd be That's terrible. I'd be poor business practice. Honestly, agreed. Agreed. Um. So as far as data management goes, I mean, are you using any sort of third-party utilities to kind of manage that, or are you doing just straight-up all NetApp stuff? Yeah, so we use we use a few different utilities. Um, for probably the bulk of our of our archival data management, we use Comprise. Uh, Comprise is a policy-based data mover, uh, which is great for a company that has petabytes of data it's not perfectly structured. It comes from a lot of different departments. And we don't want to spend time trying to develop uh, micro policies for these different groups for different types of data we may not know much about. So it's a little bit better to do an umbrella approach where you can say all of this instrument data after six months can be moved to a colder tier. Um, and that just that happens automatically through these policies on Comprise and even allows us to move after another period of time to, uh, to tape. So, and then when, when data moves from disk to disk, uh, anytime the data is accessed, it will work through symbolic links. And if it's accessed enough times or if it's rewritten, uh, then it'll actually be rehydrated to the primary disk for another given amount of time. Okay. So yeah, it makes the storage admin's job definitely less, uh, uh, less micromanaging and allows us to visualize better how much data is being generated and how much of our data hasn't been created or accessed in a given amount of time. And it's always pretty staggering when you look at a cluster with petabytes and petabytes of data, how many of those have not been touched, you know, within a week of being created. Yeah. So you're using Comprise for that particular archival and data movement. Uh, have you looked at Fabric Pool at all in terms of tiering, or is that something that doesn't really apply because it's more cloud-oriented? Yeah, it's, it's a bit more cloud-oriented. We've also, um, we don't have, uh, we haven't put much investment into AFF. Um, we do have some SSD within our FAS cluster, but like I said before, g- given, our, given our budgets and given the amount of data we have to keep warm at any given time, SATA has really been the sweet spot for us. So, and we're, we're operating SATA at such a scale that we get, we ring pretty decent performance out of it when we have thousands of disks. So you are single handedly keeping the spinning drive market alive. (laughs) Glad I can help. uh, Disk is not dead because Adam (laughs) is buying it all. It's not, it's not. We even, we keep some of the tape market alive too. There you go. Yeah. So uh, any other uh, things you want to add before we close this out? Uh, no, I think, I think 
like I said here, it's uh, it's been good to see NetApp support this product. Um, I, I would put even more confidence in a, in a new product that came out like this and that the development would continue if it was uh, a success from the start. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said before, just the growth of, of ONTAP, even over the you know, the, the decade plus that I've used it has, has just been a great trajectory and uh, the tools that keep coming out are, are excellent. So. Cool. So we have uh, other podcasts on Flex Free Volumes. We also have a podcast on Comprise. That's a while, we did that a while ago, so we can put those in the show notes for people who want to investigate that. Um, again, Adam, how do we reach you? Yeah, so uh, you can... Uh, Justin will put my email in the show notes, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @damnight. Cool. All right, Adam. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Justin. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Adam Knight for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.